Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 124 of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson, and I have Kurt Mortensen here with me as usual. I spent a lot of time digging out this morning, Kurt. Pretty snowy day. How's it down your neck of the woods? Yeah, lots of snow, lots of shoveling, lots of big piles of snow. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to Houston. Not going to Mexico like you're going, but at least I'm going to a place a little bit warmer next week. That's not for a few more weeks, but yeah, it would, it's been snowy. And I like to make fun of all my California friends in July. What are you doing living there with all that traffic and those taxes? I mean, you're you're stupid. Right now, they're not that dumb. I think they got it all figured out. <laughs> yeah, after the seventh day of shoveling, you're like, okay, done. Yeah, yeah. Well, the cl- clock has rolled over to February officially, and that's good news. We're maybe in the home stretch. You never know. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm doubting it. But, hey, you, you can have your hope if you want. I'm not saying no. There's just something to be said for January being over with. January and, well, February, you've got your Mexico trip as a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. We still got some winter going. I don't know. When's the groundhog come out? Is that a March? That's tomorrow. Groundhog is supposed is to come tomorrow? out tomorrow. Oh, yeah. all right. I didn't know it was that soon. Well, we'll have to uh, update the listeners next week on the official groundhog news. I do find it troubling how seriously some people take the groundhog. <laughs> Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. I've been there. I've seen the groundhog. It's quite the event. It changed my life. It really did. <laughs> it's in Pennsylvania? What? Yeah, Puxatawney, Pennsylvania. You got to get there. That's Bill. like New York, Chicago, Puxatawney. What do you want? Look, with the places that you go, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> That's right. I'm just glad you're going to Houston, Texas this week. Well, it's, yeah, it's a little bit closer than the Middle East, but, you know, we're working on it. <laughs> yeah. Everybody, I've been railing on Kurt for these uh, strange cities, which we have now offended by calling strange. That's right. Not Santa Claus, Indiana yet, but what was the one in Michigan again? I forget. Frankenmoose. Frankenmoose, the transplant right out of Germany, and then you went to, what was the one in Arkansas? <laughs> it was right outside of Goobertown. Thank Goobertown, you very much. Goobertown, Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've offended the Puxatwanians, the Goobertownians, and the... <laughs> I'm not worried good. about those bunch We're all of about offending everyone. Yeah, that's right. Well, you, you will see that, that that's going to go to a whole new level today. We actually, drum roll if you want, <laughs> we have a guest on the Woo-hoo! show today. Yep. Like us, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a podcast guest. His name is Tyler Page with the Polite Politics Podcast. And we thought it was a very timely opportunity to have him on the show because this week we've got, <laughs> and I think I've offended Iowa before, the one time that we think about Iowa every four years, <laughs> the Iowa primaries. And people are going to be voting, and uh, there's been all this political propaganda and persuasion and stuff going on out there, so we thought we might approach this from a little bit of a political angle as far as persuasion is concerned. We've got Tyler on the line. How you doing, Tyler? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Can you just give us a, a quick crash course on the podcast, what you're trying to do, what the podcast is like? You know, I just don't like our media, to be honest with you. I don't think that our news media speaks to the average American. I think they're either talking to themselves or they're talking to a small group of people who are ideologically aligned. So Fox News just speaks to Republicans. 
MSNBC just speaks to Democrats. CNN just is stupid. And so <laughs> the thought is instead to provide a podcast once a week, 30 minutes, just tell people what they need to know. What's going on? Here's what Republicans are saying. Here's what Democrats are saying. Here are the value conflicts in what's actually being discussed. Now you make your decision. I'm not going to tell you what to think, but the thought is that we strip out the yelling and we strip out the stupidity and we just try to honestly tell people what's going on in the world. Well, that's pretty cool. I want to thank you because I never thought we'd get CNN on our list. Stupid <laughs> CNN. Finally offended those guys. <laughs> it's about time. Right? Yeah, it is about time. <laughs> well, that's a good intro. And Kurt wants to lead in a little bit into how we want to approach this. We are equal opportunity offenders. So, Kurt, tell the audience what we're going to talk to Tyler about today because he's uniquely qualified to discuss this. Sure. And, of course, our goal is to offend as many people as possible. This might be the most highly offensive show of all time. <laughs> And so we're going to talk about politics. We're going to be as neutral as possible. We're going to make fun of both sides, right? Something like that. And, and Tyler had it right. If you want an aneurysm, not that you do, but if you had a, a political event and you watch CNN and Fox and MSNBC in the same day, you get such completely different views. It's just mind-numbing. And that's what's interesting about politics. It's such a highly emotional thing, and people really don't see straight. In fact, they've done studies with politics where they say, hey, come watch this speaker, it's your party. And they watch it and they rate the speaker, they love them. They're like, oh, we're sorry, it was the other party. And they're like, oh, oh we, we don't like that. They did it with both parties. It was just interesting, the emotional element that's here. People see what they want to see. They hear what they want to see. They ignore what they want to ignore, as we're seeing in all politics. And it gets really interesting. So we're going to have some fun talking about blunders and ninjas, what's going on in the world of politics, because... That's Persuasion 101. It's an interesting aspect of persuasion and influence and how they navigate the waters, how they use polls, public opinions. And so we're going to work through that and have some fun with it. Awesome. Awesome. So, Tyler, as we think about this, we know you're watching this a lot more closely than we are. You've got Republicans, you've got Democrats, and each side has a platform. They've got something they're trying to say. Let's start with the Republicans. Let's offend or not offend them first. What seems to be their priority, what they're really concerned about trying to persuade the electorate about right now? Well, I think it's interesting. Both parties disagree about what the problems facing America are, and that leads to their solutions. But they talk about you can listen to a debate and there'll be completely different topics. And so you'll see kind of hacky reporters on both sides when there's a Republican debate, the Democrats will come up. And they'll say, well, they didn't talk about this and this and this. And Republicans are like, that's not an issue to us. The same thing happens the other way. I think ultimately everybody's trying to talk about how do we get middle class voters? How do we get, let's be honest, they think about voters, but middle class individuals, how do we help raise people's standard of living? And to Republicans, that's caused by government. It's caused by government bloat. It's caused by a tax code that is ridiculous that is incentivizing companies to leave the country. It's caused by overregulation. But the common theme of everything Republicans are saying is government, to go back to Ronald Reagan, government's not the solution to the problem. Government is the problem. And that's really what Republicans are trying to persuade the American people of. Do you see, as they try to do that, I'm sure they have statistics. I'm sure they have cases that they make. Do you see anything that they're doing that is just completely ridiculous as they try to make that point that any that an objective person could sit down and say you said or you did this and that's just insane that that's 
you're it's an insult to the electorate. Are they doing anything like that around this core argument that you've just talked about? Well, there's a couple things. There's some people who get upset because they make that argument, but then they turn around and want to use the government to enforce social policy through abortion and things like that. And we don't need to get into social issues, but that is something that I think some people see a disconnect on. But on a bigger level, I think the biggest problem I see the Republicans facing with this is that they just talk to themselves. They use buzzwords that aren't commonly known or understood or that are taken out of context by journalists who don't understand them. And so they really don't talk to the wider electorate. And when you've lost the last two presidential elections and popular vote in four of the last five, you need to be able to expand your base. You need to be able to talk to other people. And instead, and we see this with some of the candidates, notably Ted Cruz and Donald Trump, who talk in ways that are exclusionary, that are going to push people away when they really need to be broadening the tent. I see. And of course, uh, some on the Republican side are going to disagree with that, and some on the Democrat side are jumping up and down right now. But hang on, Democrats, we'll get to you in a minute. We'll so, take care of you. Yeah. And that's really interesting. On our show here, Kurt and I constantly talk about in the world of persuasion, one of the biggest mistakes that persuaders make is, like you said, talking to themselves. They're persuading others like they want to be persuaded, and that's what's going on with the Republicans here. Instead of trying to get down into the electorate and see what are their problems, what are their concerns, they're trying to tell them what their concerns are instead of learn them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the issue they run into with that, I mean, you guys talk about it all the time, is they never expand, and they look crazy. Some of them are crazy, some of them are not. Some of them are explaining really critical ideas that they really believe in. They just persuade very, very poorly with it. I've so. got a quick question on that. It's it's kind of interesting when you look at corporate and the type of persuasion influence we talk to, the negotiation, the business world, then you've got politics. And it's really interesting that public relations 101, you don't really go out there and rip the competition. You don't make funnier the other companies in your space. But for some reason in politics, it's okay to attack and get mean and get down in the mud with somebody. But we don't do that on the corporate or business side. Can you enlighten us on that? Is there an answer to that? Is that just, wow, that's politics? I think the difference is that politics is a zero-sum game. Republicans can't win seats in the House of Representatives without Democrats losing seats. Whereas in business, when I've worked as a businessman, and I know you guys know, we're all about expanding the pie. Okay, and occasionally there will be sharp differences, right? Coke and Pepsi, very in a veiled way, will vary, will trade barbs. So will certain products, you know, things that are zero sum. But politics is purely a zero sum game. And so ultimately, the Republican nominee and the Democratic nominee this time can't both be president. To me, that's probably the difference that okay. makes it a little sharper elbows, so to speak. Kill or be killed, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. And that's what it feels like a lot of times. Now, I wanted to get to Democrats in just a second, but I can't resist asking because Kurt and I are a little bit taken by this. What's up with Trump? <laughs> uh, I, I feel like this is a lot different than things have been in the past. What is he doing? He's not doing it the way that people usually do. Right. Some people are quite taken with him. What is he doing that's right? You mentioned a little bit of what he's doing wrong. Can you expound on that a little? First off, let's just say outright he's a media master at, at manipulating the media, 
at building them up and getting them to talk about him. He's just a master at it. And that probably comes from, what, a decade now as a reality TV star? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's part of it. But I really think a huge part of it with him is that he's found a group of people who believe in what he's saying. And Republicans and Democrats like to talk about this group of people that's kind of ethereal, but this group of people that are somehow disenfranchised, that they've been left behind, that they're kind of ignored. And Democrats will call them the working poor. Republicans will you know, say these are the whites that didn't show up for Mitt Romney, whatever. And what we're finding when we look at the research and the polls and you start to dig into who are these people supporting Trump, guess who they are? They're this group of people that neither party has really been speaking to and that feels a little left behind. And so he's tapping into that. Did either of you guys ever see Robin Williams in Man of the Year? There's a movie called Man of the Year. Robin Williams played the everyman. He was giving a speech. Some, I think he was a comedian. And he starts making jokes about, well, yeah, this is obvious. And just kind of giving simple, straightforward answers. And everybody falls in love with his candidacy because he's just that guy. And I think mm. that's what he's doing. He's tapping into it. But one other movie reference for you, for those who saw Swing Vote with Kevin Costner, mm-hmm. I think Trump voters are all Kevin Costner in that movie. <laughs> yeah. people, And that's not a diss. They're really smart people I know who are just like, I'm sick of this system. It doesn't do anything for me. So fine. I'll support Donald Trump. But I think that's really what you're looking at. If those two movie references can help kind of pin it down. In your opinion, are there enough Kevin Costner voters to actually get Trump in the White House? No. Okay. And, and that's the thing that what's been interesting with Donald. I mean, look, there is a world in which Donald gets the nomination and then the Democrat implodes, right? Uh-huh. Our national elections are far more driven by economic performance than they are by the candidates themselves. Yeah. So there is a theoretical possibility but if you look at the numbers, Republicans aren't crazy about him. Traditional Republican primary and caucus voters are not crazy about him. And most Democrats aren't either, although a lot of Trump supporters are crossover Democrats. So you look at that and say the problem is he's appealing to a very narrow part of the country and he's offending the rest of it. And he's not doing anything to broaden his appeal yet. Not that may change. But I'm guessing that some of his more controversial stuff is probably too controversial. Is it possible? Sure. Anyone who wins the major party nomination could theoretically be president. Mm -hmm. But if he won the Republican nomination, I wouldn't give him more than one in five chance. 20 percent. Yeah. I'm going to in just a second, I'm going to pass it off to Kurt to handle the Democrat side of things and the questions there. But I have to ask you, we've got Iowa primary coming up. What's your pick? on the Republican side for the Iowa winner? And then who do you think the Republican nominee is eventually? I think Trump wins in Iowa uh, today. So Trump's going to win in Iowa tonight. I do think that Marco Rubio will be the eventual Republican nominee. Um, Interesting. Okay. Well, Kurt, I've been beating up on Republicans a little (laughs) bit, not too bad. You are going to take some swings of the Democrats. Why don't we take it from there? All right, yeah, it's interesting. You look at both sides. I think one of the biggest issues people are talking about, and we have 47 Republicans. I know there's not that many, and we only have two Democrats. Why the big discrepancy there? Well, Hillary Clinton cleared the field very, very quickly. And, I mean, I think there are arguments in a normal year if Bernie Sanders 
would be the sort of candidate that people would normally embrace. I think he's more catching fire in lieu of someone else ideologically like him who might be a little more, might have a little more range. So I think, look, she intimidated people out of it. And the Clintons, whether you like their politics or you dislike their politics, it's pretty well known that they play the political favoritism game. And so going up against them was probably something that chased away a lot of a lot of people who otherwise might have run to make a statement or take a shot. And so you look at that and go, well, we'll, we'll get on board. She just had too much money and too much support early on. It was presumed she would win. And like I said, given their family history and some of the things that they've done to people who didn't support them, I think a lot of Democrats said, hey, I'll just wait four years or I'll wait eight years so that I can keep my career if she wins. So, And, of course, we got to talk with uh, Hillary, the way she's handling this email scandal. Some people think it's great. Some people think it's a major blunder. What are your views on the, her handling this email scandal? Because it's not going away. I think she was thinking it was going to go away. It's not going away. Yeah, well, this actually touches what I do in my full-time life, which is I, I'm doing a doctorate in crisis communication. How do you resolve a problem like this? And the answer from a purely objective standpoint, my fiercely pro-Democrat advisor would tell you this, is she's handled it awfully. And the reason is all the research tells us that when you screw up and when you make a mistake, what you've got to do is just apologize. Just step back and say, I made a mistake, and then tell the truth. Explain what happened, give a reason, apologize, and move on. And there are hosts of stories of candidates doing this and they're stories you don't even remember anymore because they just did that. But other people, this is what Anthony Weiner did wrong. This is what Hillary has done wrong here. This is what Mark Sanford, the governor of let's see, North or South Carolina, one of the Carolinas that was having an affair. You deny, you deny, you deny, you deny. And what does it do? The media feeds on it and they keep building it. And it becomes a bigger and bigger story and it dominates longer and longer and longer. Or I'll give you a non-politics analogy. Look at Major League Baseball players, Yankees pitchers. Who's the prominent Yankees pitcher that confessed to using steroids and HGH, that used HGH and steroids? That would be Roger Clemens, wouldn't it? Roger Clemens. It pretty much killed his career, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Did you know that Andy Pettit is also confessed to using HGH? And I don't think Roger Clemens ever did. I have heard that, but it doesn't trip all these alarms in my head like Roger Clemens does. You're right. It's, to me, it's kind of gone. Because Andy Pettit, when the news came out, he said, yep, I made a mistake once. I'm sorry. And I remember a couple of years after that happened, watching Roger Clemens was at home, kind of loathed by everybody. Andy Pettit was pitching in the World Series. Not a mention. Nobody said a word. You know, Barry Bonds couldn't come to the plate in a Major League Baseball game without the announcer talking about it. The media is kind of like a dog chasing a car. The car stops. The dog really doesn't know what to do. And, <laughs> yeah. And so you just can't keep driving away. you got to be blunt about it. And what I would say is crisis researchers across the spectrum and in academia where I'm at, they're mostly Democrats, are all going to tell you Hillary's handled this email situation really poorly, just from a persuasive I agree 100%. I mean, listeners, that's one thing to take to the bank is to realize that apology is cheap. Even if it's not your fault, 
it's good to apologize. It's like the, the car, like the car and the dog analogy. They don't know what to do. And they say, well, don't do it again. And you say, okay, and it goes away. That's true in negotiation. That's true in any type of conflict. It's human nature. I think the best example, the best case study is everyone looks at the Tylenol cyanide case to where, sure, it wasn't their fault, but they recalled everything. It cost them millions of dollars, and they're back on the map. And it's interesting that when you're able to do that and to check your emotions at the door and say, I'm sorry, it was not my fault, I blew it, how people are a lot more forgiving. And I think that's exactly what's happening in this instance. So, well, here's the Homer sound. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't. Hillary Clinton on that, that she is the Homer because... She could have just owned up. Yeah, I blew it. It wasn't right. But it's just cover up after lie, after mistruth. And people are getting tired of that. And that's really hurting her right now. So, Tyler, let me ask you. If you looked at both sides, whoever it is, who is the ninja? Well, first of all, we have to have the ninja sound. Go, ninja. All right. So is. who would be the persuasion ninja? Either side, as far as really doing things right on the persuasion influence side. Well, I think the most recent, and I can I cheat and give you two real quick sure we can have a double ninja (laughs) double ninja the first i want to give to bernie sanders and i want to give it to him he is in kind of a vicious campaign with hillary clinton you have supporters fighting back and forth and he keeps coming out and he has this little talking point where he just says look i've never run a negative ad and he's able to really deflect a lot of because the hillary campaign is saying he's being really vindictive and negative He's going, hey, I've never run a negative ad, and just is able to squeak out of it. I have to give him credit for that and his ability to really diffuse that issue with just one counterpoint really fast. The other, I would say, very, very timely, the last Republican debate, remember Donald Trump chose not to appear, and that puts everybody in a really tough spot, right? You don't want to criticize someone too much for not being there because, number one, it gives them too much credit, and number two... It just doesn't seem right to be beating up on somebody who's not on stage with you, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're in a tough spot, and Ted Cruz just opens the meeting. Look, I'm a maniac. So he identifies himself first. I'm a maniac. Then he points to the others around and says, everyone on stage is fat, stupid, and ugly. And Dr. Carson, you're a bad surgeon or you're a terrible (laughs) surgeon. He says, okay, now that the Donald Trump portion is out of the way, let's have a debate. And it yeah. was a it was a brilliant transcendent strategy to go above the fray and appear to be above Donald Trump. Oh, that's I mean, what did he really do? He just said Donald Trump insults people. And he picked out of those the most ridiculous ones he could and deliberately sounded ridiculous, particularly calling Ben Carson a bad surgeon. Right. Nobody believes that on any side of anything. But he makes that look stupid and everything Trump's doing. And he put down Trump really without coming across as vindictive toward Trump. And the rest of the debate went t- Trump-free. So I-, I thought it was a brilliant move. Now, whether it played into votes for him, I don't know. But in terms of persuasion, it was fantastic. Uh, that was a great. He diffused the situation. Humor always works well for connecting people to you. So that would be a great ninja. That is a great ninja. They both have done well there. And, and that's what makes political season in a presidential election year so fun is Oh, man. Blunders and ninjas. Kurt, we just got to they are laying all over. Just pick them up off the ground. They're easy to find. We'll have to do a top 100 blunders of the 2016 election <laughs> cycle. Yeah. Well, that's great. We're just about out of time here. Tyler, we appreciate you coming on the show. Where can people learn more? Awesome. Got a fan page. Polite Politics uh, is probably the best place to find it. We're 
working on getting multiple media partners. We have one right now at Utah Political Hub, but Polite Politics is just a fan page on Facebook that you're welcome to join and catch all the updates. Fantastic. Yeah, just go to Facebook and punch in Polite Politics. You'll be able to like his page and see new posts and and new episodes to the podcast, I'm sure, just like you can with us. Go to Facebook and punch in Maximize Your Influence, and you'll be able to like our page as well. Everybody, we appreciate you listening, and we will catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Take care and persuade with power.